I'll say a proper good morning now. It's good to be with you. And can I ask you some questions? I'm not asking for people to call out with their answers or put their hands up. This is just for you to think about. A few questions. What is your closest relationship? Talking about with people. What's your closest relationship? What's your most difficult relationship? What's your longest relationship? What's your newest relationship? What's the relationship you most miss? Today we're thinking all about the relationships we have with one another. We're in this series, as Jackie said earlier on, the the Christmas cards we've got uh, available for you. The hope is that, because I know what it's like, it can get busy and we either ditch the cards, or we don't plan on doing them in the first place, or we just, I've got a whole list to get through, dear so-and-so, happy Christmas from me. The hope is that for, for us this year, we might take six and spend a bit more time on them. And it might be that you do this already, in which case, fantastic. But to take these and to send deliberate messages to people with hope, with an encouragement, to share something, because this time of year, and all times of year, it is good for us to invest in those relationships. And today, this this theme, nothing seems impossible anymore. We're looking at things which, because of what God has done, starting with this Christmas story, starting with him coming into the world, there are things that become possible, that we can see as possible, which previously would have been impossible. And today, we're looking at the fact that connection Connection with other people is possible. And what we're going to do is I want to look at a few different relationships that we see happening within the nativity story, within the Christmas story, particularly focusing on two couples, two different couples that we see who could in some ways not be more different from one another. And look at what we can learn and see in their relationships and in what God does in their relationships. And the first relationship I want to look at is, is this couple, Sarah, not Sarah, Zechariah and Elizabeth. I don't know where Sarah came from. Zechariah and Elizabeth, who I've described as a power couple. Can I encourage you, if you have a Bible, to, to, to get it out, to get it ready, or to find one on your phone, or to Google um, these passages as we go through? Because we're going to be looking at a few different bits and bobs today. We're going to look at a couple of these relationships. And first, I want to see these two marriages, these two relationships, how, do they, how are they described to begin with? How are they both set up? Well, this is Zechariah and Elizabeth in Luke chapter 1, verse 5 to 7. In the time of King Herod, Herod king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. So, We've got this couple, a power couple. He's got a very important job within the, within the temple system. They both have very good Jewish credentials. We hear about which division he was part of. We hear about her lineage. The fact she's traced back to Aaron means that she was within the priestly uh, 
uh, tribe, and uh, and that was that was that was important for them. Um, so these are these are good Jewish people with good Jewish credentials. These are also people who, in verse six, we hear that they are righteous in the sight of God, that they were blameless in following His commands. That's some form of exaggeration because we know that no one is completely blameless, but in terms of ranking people, they were on the better end of humanity rather than the worse end of humanity. And we also hear that they're in this position where they've been unable to have children, and they are now relatively old, old enough that that is unlikely to happen, old enough that actually this has been something that they've had to hold and carry for years and years and years, and yet... We don't see any evidence in their relationship of a kind of resentment or a bitterness or a wedge between them. They've weathered this storm and they are strong. They're an example to others. They are a power couple. Then we come to Mary and Joseph. Mary and Joseph obviously get a lot of the limelight, a lot of the fame of the Christmas story, and rightly so. Their son was more important than Zechariah and Elizabeth's son. Spoiler alert, they all have kids. And it's, it's Mary and Joseph that the focus gets on. But actually, these, these are the ones who are mentioned first. So let's look at Mary and Joseph now and the way that they are introduced in Luke chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. This is a difficult relationship. This isn't a power couple. These aren't people that anyone was aspiring to be like. This is a difficult relationship from the beginning. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, spoiler alert, as I said, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. I'm not going to continue reading. This is the passage that we explored last week that Stephen helped us to, to, to unpack. And this is the, 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 the verses where Mary is spoken to by this angel, by Gabriel, and is told she is going to have a child. She's going to have a son. And it throws everything out. Why do I say this is a difficult relationship? Well, at the point when we first meet Mary and Joseph, they're very newly um, betrothed. They're they're engaged. But engagement now carries a slightly different sense from engagement then. It was a lot more serious then. To be engaged was kind of the first part of being married. It wasn't just a sort of, yes, we will get married in the future. They were seriously committed. Their families had had joined them together, and and they probably wouldn't have known each other well. They might have vaguely known each other from afar growing up. Joseph was likely a man in his late 20s or early 30s, and Mary would have been about 13 or 14. So these aren't childhood sweethearts. These aren't best of friends who have finally come together and are soon to to be married. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a man and a a young woman or a young girl who don't know each other, who would have been slightly unsure of one another, whose families have arranged to bring them together, and and now they are, in a sense, married. There's still a final bit to be done, but, but they're together. It wouldn't have been easy, it would have been awkward, it would have been difficult, and then throw into that already quite tense and hard time for them both, this announcement that Mary's going to be pregnant. And that's going to obviously rock her world. It's obviously going to confuse and, and, and make him feel, well, what's going on? Has she been unfaithful before we've even had a chance to really get started? 
What do I do? Do I, do I stick with her? Do I, do I bring shame upon myself by saying that the baby's mine? What, what, what am I going to do? So it's an already difficult, tentative relationship. And then there's this big bombshell that's thrown onto it, and it becomes even harder. So we've got this contrast, these two couples who we're introduced to. One is the, is the power couple, the couple who've kind of got it all made and have weathered this particular storm they've been in and have kept faithful to God. And then we've got this difficult relationship between these two young people, which suddenly gets an awful lot harder. What happens with both of these relationships? Well, I'm not going to go through the whole of each of the stories, but I'll, I'll sort of explain a little bit. And then I want to jump forward in each of them to the point when their child is born and they go through some of the, the, the sort of Jewish ritual rites um, of, for a newborn child. Because what we see in both cases is that no matter where they started, God has brought them one step further. God has brought them closer. This, this power couple remain even closer at the end than they did, did at the beginning. And this difficult relationship has been, has been helped. So, Back to Zechariah and Elizabeth. They've not been able to have children. They know that that's very unlikely. And then an angel comes and speaks to Zechariah and says, your wife is going to have a child and you're going to name him John. And Zechariah doesn't believe the angel. And so he's given a bit of a time out by God and he becomes mute. He's unable to speak until the child is born. Elizabeth does fall pregnant. Elizabeth does have that child, and then we come to uh, this power couple made stronger in verses 57 to 66, where we read about what the child is going to be named, which would have been important because, as I said, Zechariah has this important job. There would be an expectation that his son would also have this kind of important job, and what the, what the priest was going to be called, what the, what the next priests would be called would be important. It's important that there would be tradition to it, much in the same way that when, when a royal baby is announced, it's, well, well, it needs to be a name that is a royal name. There's that sort of um, gravitas to the whole situation. And we read, when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. They said to her, there's no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet because he's still in his timeout. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue set free and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the, throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. So this, this couple, this power couple, this good couple, this blameless couple, then have this child. And in this moment, they come together in union and in unity to say, no matter what the tradition is, we're going to follow what God said. Together, husband and wife, we've been told that this child is to be called John, and he's going to be called John. 
and we are united in this. We are together in this. There was an opportunity because of the situations around them for them to take a stand together on something. For them, this couple that was already strong to become even stronger. And people saw it and they wondered, what, what, what is this child going to be? He's got a name that is a funny name. And, and for us, John is a more common name for Zechariah. But for them, John was the funny name. John was the unusual one. John was the one. Why on earth are they calling him that? What, what's it going to be? This has been a strange scenario. They are a very old couple. What, what's going on here? They're asking, what's he going to be? And the answer was, he would be John the Baptist. He would be Jesus' cousin who would prepare the way, who would be always pointing towards his cousin Jesus. He's already started that now in a way. So this couple comes even closer together. Then we come to Mary and Joseph. And this couple, this difficult relationship is brought together. We obviously know a lot of the story of Jesus being born and the shepherds and the wise men and the angels and all the rest of it. But I just want to look at chapter 2, verse 22, where we read, when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. This couple, too, didn't have a lot of the fanfare that an important person like, like the priest in the temple would get. Didn't have a lot of people coming, towards, coming to his ceremony. But what they did have was the opportunity to come together, and they did it together. This couple that could very easily have split. This couple where Joseph could have said, no, that is too much for me. I'm going to bring you shame, and I'm going to go, or I'm just going to do it quietly. But he doesn't. He sticks with her. Mary, who could have just crumbled. Instead, in some way, they draw strength from one another. And the very first, after this uh, birth story of Jesus, the next story we read in the, in the Bible is them again coming to the temple with their 12-year-old boy, Jesus. And they're still pursuing God together. This difficult relationship has, against all the odds, been brought together. What are our relationships like? Because I don't believe it to be a coincidence that God chose this very relationship, nitty-gritty, ins and outs, what's going on between these very human things. He chose that as the backdrop to enter into the world because he cares about our relationships. He cares about our friendships. These are both marriages. He cares about our marriages. And we all know that relationships can be wonderful and that we need them and that they can be difficult and that they can be hard. Since these are both marriages, I'll speak for a moment about marriage. On the 8th of January, over the last number of years, the 8th of January has been known as Divorce Day in this country because it is the day in the year when most divorces are filed for. I say that with no judgment, with no condemnation. Lots of marriage in the, marriages in this country end in divorce. I'm, I'm one of those statistics. I have, I'm one of those numbers. But it is sad. It is always sad. And, in, and relationships need to be invested in. And we can see that even a couple that is strong and is going there and is really on fire for God and is serving him in his temple, they can still come closer. God can still bring them closer. And for a couple that all the odds are against them, 
so little hope on a human level for Mary and Joseph's relationship, and yet still, God brings them through. God can do that. God wants to do that. God did that then. But before we come to talk a little bit more about relationships, I want to look at one more relationship. This time, not between the husbands and wives. This time, between the two women, Mary and Elizabeth. Because I actually think in them we see what the, what the sort of clue or the key is for the way that we approach these relationships. Because Mary and Elizabeth, they have a little scene in this story together as well. In Luke chapter 1, verse 39 and 45, when they are both pregnant, Mary's just received the news, Elizabeth is a little bit further on, and Mary goes to visit Elizabeth. They are relatives. We read, at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. See, even before he's born, John the Baptist is pointing people towards Jesus. It's so cool. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your eyes, uh, of, of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Mary and Elizabeth, relatives, they would have known each other over the years, the few years that Mary's been alive. They would have known each other at different family affairs and gatherings. And this is a, an old relationship that is reunited between them. Oh, there we go. An old relationship that is, that is reunited, that is rekindled. I said, what are some of the relationships that you miss at the beginning? And I'm aware that for many, the relationships that we miss are ones that this side of eternity, we won't be able to rekindle. But we know that sometimes relationships can be picked up again. Friends that we can reach out to. Maybe that's what you want to do with a couple of your Christmas cards this year. But in them, I think I, we see a, a, a pattern for what it is that enables those relationships that God has brought together to be brought together. Because what we see in them, and actually in each of them, is that these relationships, in each of these three quite different settings that we've got, these three different relationships that are going on, we see that they are brought together by putting God at the center. For Zechariah and Elizabeth, it was God's plans that they were going to pursue. He will be called John, and it's on that that they will come together. For Mary and for Joseph, it is the news that this child that Mary is, is bearing will be the savior of the world, will be good news for all, and they are willing to play their part in that, putting God at the center of their plans instead of just focusing on themselves. And Elizabeth and Mary, all of what they say is steeped in the news of God. They're filled with the Spirit. Elizabeth is filled with the Spirit. She recognizes God's blessings on Mary. She says, who am I? I'm not worthy to be among one who, who God has favored so much. She commends Mary for her faith and her courage in pursuing God. These are relationships that are putting God at the center and being brought closer and closer together. No matter where they started, that's where they are going. So, relationships. Why is it that relationships can be so 
hard. We all know they're good. Even the most introverted amongst us would not, I'm sure, wish for a world where it was just you and nobody else. We all know that we need other people. We might all have different levels of tolerance. We might all have different desires for numbers of people and numbers of relationships in our life. That's okay. But we all know that we need one another and we know that relationships can be hard. Why are relationships hard? Well, I want to suggest two answers. And this might sound like very bad news because the two answers I want to offer are sin and sin. One with a lowercase and one with a capital. Let me explain what I mean. Sin uh, is, is used in two different ways in the Bible. And the first is a kind of lowercase, lowercase letters with a, with, a, with, a, with, a, with, a, with a small s. It's us doing things wrong to one another. Why are my relationships with some people bad? Because I let them down and they let me down. Why are our relationships not perfect? Because we are not perfect. Why did my first marriage end? Well, at the base of it, ultimately, it was because of the wrongdoing of my ex-wife who had an affair. And while that isn't something that can never be come back from, while that isn't something that where reconciliation becomes impossible, for us it was what led to that. We wrong one another. We lie, we steal, we, we do things in our relationships with one another. We gossip. We're suspicious of one another. We're, we're jealous of one another. All of these things, we can treat each other wrongly. And it gets in the way of our relationships. That's sin with a lowercase s. That might sound bad enough. But there's worse news to come. Because actually, one of the bigger ways that God talks about sin in the Bible is not just about a list of things that we've got wrong, but it's a heart problem. It's our heart being wrongly aligned. Because sin in the Bible is me saying, I don't want you to be in charge of my life, God. I want to be in charge of my life. I'm going to be on the throne instead of you. And it's a thing that says to God, I don't want you. I want me. I don't want your ways I want my ways. And what we see at the very start of the Bible, where everything is made perfect, is that as soon as that attitude towards God of saying, I'm going to ignore your commands because I want my own commands. I want you to do what I want rather than me do what you want. That's the true biblical meaning of sin. And as soon as that enters the world, what we see is that, yes, it breaks that relationship with God. But that isn't the only thing it breaks. Because this whole world, this whole universe was made that we might have a relationship with the creator of it all. And if we say no to that relationship, then the very fabric, the very thing that's meant to be holding it together gets broken. And every other relationship becomes broken as well. Every other thing that 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 is holding together, if we don't want that, if we don't want the glue, then everything else starts to get broken, starts to get damaged, starts to not be whole. Sin with a capital S. The good news is that that's not the end of the story. This whole series, nothing seems impossible anymore because of what God has done in entering the world and in what came next. Jesus came. God entered into our world. He entered into our mess. Earlier on when Bethany shared that image of us being in our cozy caves, someone uh, shared with me that, that, that what they 
the, the sort of picture and image that, that they had that, that sparked for them was that they were saying, yeah, I am, I am in this cave. And I'm, the thing that, the darkness in this cave that I'm surrounded by is all of my mess. So he was saying, so God, are you going to, are you going to come and sort out that mess? And what he sensed God was saying to him was actually not right now. What I'm going to do first is I'm going to enter into the cave. I'm going to sit down in the middle of the mess with you and put my arm around your shoulder and just be with you in it for a bit. Jesus entered our world. Jesus entered our mess. God didn't say, I'm going to stay away. You've broken the relationship with me. It's messed up your relationships with one another. And I'm just going to leave you to it. No, he came. He came to us. But he didn't just come to put our arm around our shoulder and leave us in the mess. He does ultimately want to help us with the mess. Jesus, when he was an adult, would say to his friends and followers who were bickering at one point about who was most important, another example of how our relationships with one another can be broken down. And he said to them this, the son of man, he's talking about himself, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, Jesus didn't just come as a baby and sit there associating with us, identifying with our weakness. No, he came as a baby, identified with our weakness, got alongside us, and he grew. He grew to be a man. And that man would die for us to give his life as a ransom, as a, as a payment to buy for us what we couldn't buy for ourselves, what no amount of money in the world could ever buy, which is a restored relationship with God, which is my sin, my heart towards God that says, I don't want you, I want me. That that would be given to him and that his goodness and perfection and his perfect relationship with his father would be given to me. The bad news was that when the relationship with God is broken, it makes all of our other relationships difficult. The good news is that when our relationship with God is restored, the power to live restored relationships can also be given to us. As his spirit comes and dwells in us, that spirit, that comforter, that spirit who enables reconciliation to happen. The good news is that no relationship is beyond repair. That no relationship is destined and doomed absolutely to fail. That no relationship, no matter how cold and distant it has become, cannot be rekindled and relit. God has shown his power to forgive everything. And in that we can trust him for his power to restore and reconcile all things. So I want to ask you again, what are your strongest relationships? And are there ways in which God wants to make them even stronger? What are your longest relationships, the people you've known for the most time? Does God want to reignite those? Make them stronger, rekindle them, draw them back together? What are your most difficult relationships? Do you see it as beyond repair? It's not. Because God said it's not. Where is it? that you need to draw hope and comfort from the truth that God is the ultimate father and the ultimate relator to us and can help us to grow 
as we submit our relationships to him. Good news, as these people all found out, is that connection is possible because of what God is doing. Let me pray, and then Bethany is going to come and lead us as we try and respond to some of this. Heavenly Father, thank you that you, that you relate to us as Father, not primarily as Master and as Lord, but primarily as Father. And that in sending your Son, you showed how much you value your relationship with us. Lord, would you restore us where we need to be restored? To you and to one another. Lord, for marriages that are difficult, where the last few years have just piled the pressure on more and more and more, Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus that you would bring strength, that you would bring joy back, that you would reignite love and hope and possibility for relationships between parents and children, between brothers and sisters, between neighbors and communities, between colleagues, between friends between enemies who used to be friends. Lord, we claim the promise that through what you have done, you can put those back together. We thank you for the examples of that we see, but we thank you that those examples are just signposts pointing forward to the reality that would become possible and is now possible. So Lord, restore us and work in us, I pray.